Hi everyone and welcome to episode 2 of the Infinity Pods podcast. Um, in this episode, I, as promised, will go through my top 10, just discussing um, what we, um, what I like, sorry, and basically just going through each one, um, just, you know, just having a little, little bit of a discussion about each one, why it's there, um, how it changes, um, what it means to me, basically anything to do with a top 10, really, we, we, we can go into, I can go into anything on it really so let's get started so first of all i'm going to do this from 10 to 1 and um, please bear in mind these are my own opinions obviously not a reflection of any other lists um my list does change a lot apart from the top three i'd say the top three films especially number one number one has never changed ever uh, ever since i was ever since i first saw it but we'll get to that so number 10 um, is armageddon by michael bay so, really, it could be a controversial one, really, um, because <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you've you've heard all the um, all the things about obviously that NASA use it. Whether this is true or not, I'm not sure. But NASA use it and try and pick apart all the hundreds upon, if not thousands, of errors in the film. But I personally like it. I think it's a really good blockbuster film, and it's where Michael Bay, it, it's where all the Michael Bay isms start. For me, obviously, he carried on with you've got you've got films like The Rock and obviously the Transformers films, which again I like the Transformers films, but different subjects for a different different podcast. Um, but no, I I really like Armageddon. I I think I think it's it's just a popcorn movie. Really, it, it's something you can just put on and just completely um, switch your brain off. And by switch your brain off, I mean totally like zone out on because it's just. It's just sheer madness. Um, I, I, but I really like it. I, I, I really like the score in this. The score is gorgeous. Uh, it's one of the best film scores out there. I think it's heavily underrated, the film score in this. Um, I think the reason a lot of people overlook it is because of the repetition of it. And um, it, it does use the same the same notes and the same the same tune a lot. But it does... It, it does vary that a lot, and it, 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 when it's used properly, it can really hit, you know, you in the feels quite a lot. I mean, I've cried a few times at Armageddon, I'm not going to lie, I'm a soft git when it comes to stuff like that. So, no, especially the ending, um, I'm not, I mean, I, I'm not going to spoil it, but I mean, it's, it's uh, what, 20, 30-year-old film nearly. Um, you really should know <laughs> what's going on in it by now if you've not seen it. Uh, but yeah, number 10, Armageddon. So, for number 9, um, toss-up really between three uh, three or four films here. Um, so, these are all Scorsese films. So, I normally, these jump in and out every time, uh, depending on what I watch. So, I don't know about you guys, but every time I watch Goodfellas, I have to watch Casino. And every time I, I now have to watch Casino, I have to watch The Irishman. And every time I watch The Irishman, I have to watch Gangs of New York. To me, they are the four quintessential gangster movies. I mean, The Godfather, couldn't care less about it. I think it's highly overrated. Um, really, I'm, I'm not entirely sure... I think it's very pulled out, very stretched out film. Um, I, it never hit home with me the same way, say, Goodfellas did or Casino did. I think it's just the direction that I like more. 
of Scorsese's directing, um, drops at the helm, especially the immersive gangs of New York. Um, like I said, these these drop and change, but at the moment, as it stands, it's gangs of New York for number nine. Again, the score is beautiful. The the story is fantastic, and just for an immersive experience of transporting you back to a time and a place, which we don't actually see a lot now. I know we've got a lot of films out now where it's superhero films and everything. It's very modern day. It's it's nice to see old go back to some old films where they did actually build a well. Like the, New York is like you wouldn't think it was New York, but from all from all you know the research they did on it and the way they got the sets designed, it, it's just it looks fantastic and great characters. I mean, we can't we can't mention Gangs of New York without mentioning the absolute tank that is gangs of new york's bill the butcher played by daniel day lewis my goodness i mean what a performance probably one of my most favorite um you know bit of acting on on screen that i have ever seen i mean my god was that guy scary i mean you you didn't want to mess with him it took me years to figure out he had a glass either i mean when i i, I watched certain films that i shouldn't have done when i was little um and I watched this when it first came out, unbeknownst to my parents, most of them, mind you. Um, and I could never figure out that he, why he had a glass eye or when he got a glass eye. And it wasn't until he tapped it, I think he tapped it halfway through the film or wherever. And I'm just like, oh, that's what that is, a glass eye. I thought I thought he was tapping the knife on the on the table, but you know, you know, that's that silly old, you know, ten year, ten, eleven year old me, not knowing, um, not knowing anything. So number nine, at the moment, Gangs of New York, but like I said. We can switch that out for Casino and Goodfellas and The Irishman. So, going on to number eight. Um, number eight is Mad Max Fury Road. I'm sure you can all agree Mad Max Fury Road came out uh, a few years ago and was actually, it was, it, it hit us like a train. It really did. I mean, that film came out of nowhere. There was nothing that looked like it before. And, and I'll be honest, there's been nothing since. That's really, I mean... Wow, what a shot of adrenaline in the arm that film was. Um, the, we've got a running gag here of Tom Hardy. <laughs> I mean, fantastic, probably one of my favourite actors. Um, but Tom Hardy, obviously having his face covered and not saying much, which Hollywood seems to like to cover Tom Hardy's face. Watch Dunkirk, you know, Dark Knight Rises, you know, Mad Max Fury Road. Any, any of those, I know that's only three films, but still, they, they cover his face a lot. But... Nonetheless, the action in this is, uh, yeah, I mean, to watch it, I mean, that if you went to go see it at the cinema, you, you really were in for a treat. You really were. I mean, wow. Some of the action pieces in that, if not all, um, some of my favourite ever seen on the screen. I mean, the, the ending scene where we've got, especially on those, those vaulting poles, where he gets on the vaulting pole and he swings back up and then everything just explodes. I mean, oh, wow. Just, I mean, I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. It's just an amazingly shot film. Um, I mean, I, when I I think the game came came out around the same time, I was sad enough to put the soundtrack on to Fury Road and play the game at the same time, so I felt like a total badass, which kind of sounds totally sad, but come on, we've all done things like that at some point in our lives, I'm sure. Um, but I'm 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 not a problem holding my hands up and saying, yeah, that's what I did. I'm a sadder, but yeah, Mad Max Fury Road. Um, you know, just a simple, it is very simple. At the end of the day, it's a long car chase. That's what all the film is. But it does it in a way where it's just like, you know what? This is what we are. This is what we do. This is what you're here for. You know, 
strap yourselves in basically i mean wow i mean especially where they go into the storm after the first chase that's just what a way to set up the rest of the film and say right this is it this is what you're gonna get you know absolutely fantastic experience there so yeah mad max fury road um in there at number eight so we're now on to number seven um, in my top 10 list. Um, so we're getting there. <laughs> um, so number seven, um, for me, it, it, this is a bit of a cop-out, really, because I'm actually including three films in one, but I couldn't just put one of them in there. So I've collectively put them all together um, for the epic trilogy. That is the Dark Knight trilogy uh, by Chris Nolan. I mean, I think there's not much to say. Um, just like, um, I mean, it, it, talking about Batman at this point in time is like talking about Star Wars. People far better than me that could explain things better than me have told you everything you need to know why these films are considered high, um, very high rated films. I mean, we've got Batman Begins, which really, again, it came out of nowhere. People weren't expecting it. It came out in 2005, so pre this is pre-Iron Man. Um, so still in that weird phase where we had that, you know, the Fantastic Four films and the Spider-Man films, you know, right in the middle of all that. Um, where people, you know, we're, we're still pretty fresh off Batman and Robin, you know, it, 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 it was, a, I think that's what we needed. We needed that dark, gritty retelling to wipe the floor from Batman and Robin and Batman Forever, which in their own rights, we're very, if you think about it, we're very, you know, you know, they, they, they understood the comics, but in a completely different way. So, but at the moment, you know, it's um, as it stands. Batman Begins still a great, great start to a trilogy. The Dark Knight. I mean, this is the one that people people love the most. This is one of the. This is the superhero film or movie to two people that people look to, and that that is the gold standard. I mean, some people still class the Dark Knight over, you know, Infinity War, Endgame, or anything that the MCU has been able to offer in terms of a superhero story. I think, obviously, a lot of the success there, other than a good film, obviously, we can't talk about The Dark Knight without mentioning Heath Ledger's Joker. Again, I'm not going to go into it as much. It's been done to, you know, done to the, to the cows come home. Great performance. But not my favourite Joker. Great Joker, not my favourite. Um, even when he first... I, I love the look and everything. I, I don't think he was on screen enough. Personally, I think, I could be wrong here, but I think he was only on screen for about 20 minutes or so. But I could be wrong in that, considering all, you know, how long the film is. But I could be wrong in, you know, I'll have a look at that myself. But I'm sure I read somewhere he's only on screen for like 20 minutes. I just wanted more of him. I think, you know, some people might say that, oh, yeah, no, it was just the right amount. Or no, it was, you know, he was doing my head in by the, <laughs> by the end of it. But no. Can't take away from the performance, great performance. But my personal favourite of the whole trilogy is The Dark Knight Rises. I think it gets a lot of bad stick. Yes, of the plot's a bit convoluted and a bit too, like, well, just blow the place up. Why do you have to wait a few months to blow Gotham up? Why don't you just do it now? I mean, you know. And the autopilot at the end, yeah, I'm still trying to rack my brain out, you know, how he did that. But he's Batman. I think that's just the answer. He's Batman, he can do what he wants. You know, it, it, blast radius, nah. But Batman doesn't do blast radius. So, no, Dark Knight Rises for me, best one. Obviously, I, I mean, I'm a little bit biased because we have Tom Hardy in there playing Bane, who is incredible. I mean, 
how quotable for a character um, to be, and just I mean the physique, the absolute, the 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 stance, the presence he had in that film was just it was just fantastic to watch, and you know seeing that fight scene in the sewers, you know with Batman and Bane, just I mean I think it's one of my favorite fights um, in comic book films, if not you know if 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 not film to be honest, I, I just. You know, just the way there's, I don't know if a lot of people you know notice, but there's no music to it either. There's no score. It is literally just them going at each other or more. Well, Batman going more at Bane than Bane going at Batman, but Bane just seems to brush Batman aside in that fight. But yeah, absolutely epic fight, but an absolutely epic trilogy backed by a great score. You know, um, again, the new Batman theme in there. Definitely on my playlist. Um, probably one of those was one of those themes that I've played quite a few times, um, and a couple of the great themes in there as well. I mean, the chance in the third one, you've got the Joker's theme, um, in the second, really good, just really great scores, really well put together films, really well filmed, and most. But I liked, I, I did like how practical they were. I don't know if you've seen, you guys seen some of the bonus features um, on the Blu-rays, the 4K films. Um, for all these, especially in the Dark Knight where they flip the truck, but the, the, the size of that piston they used to flip that truck, and it was actually on the streets. You know, it wasn't in a studio somewhere, it wasn't in a back lot anywhere. It was on real streets, real buildings, real truck, real piston. Yep, we're flipping that truck over. Fantastic use of practical effects there. So yeah, no, I really hold the Dark Knight, Dark Knight trilogy in high praise there. Fantastic set of films there. For number six on our list, on my list even, <laughs> um, we are going for the first of two horror films to only appear on my top ten. And um, it is the original Nightmare on Elm Street um, by the late Wes Craven. Again, I mean, coming out in the middle of the, the slasher era when you have all your Friday the 13th, Halloween's, uh, well, I could name a few prom nights, some of my party massacre. Um, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, I mean, we could go on on the Prowler, Valentine's Day. I just, you know, there there are too many to mention. Um, in there, and there's some fantastic documentaries if you haven't seen them. There's some really good ones. And um, there was uh, there was one on um, Amazon Prime I watched a week or two ago. Um, so, I can't remember what it was called to be honest. Uh, I had loads of big names in it. I'd like still had interviews with John Carpenter and everybody, um, Tom Savini. But a really good documentary for the life. I thought, oh, Into Darkness. There we go. It's just come to me, Into Darkness. Um, something slasher film. You know, but yeah, give it a watch on Amazon Prime. Fantastic documentary about all the slasher films of that era. But yeah, Night in a, Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, you just you've just got to praise it for just. Obviously, the, the the restrictions and limitations of the time, and how they went about it to make one of the creepiest films, you know, I think is out there, and it still holds up today. I mean, Robert England as as Freddy Krueger. I mean that that dude. I mean, uh, every, I've never heard Brad. You know, I know they say, they say there's no such thing as bad press, but I've never seen anything bad written written about him. Um, you know, and everyone talks. You know, talks of him in such high praise. I obviously don't know the guy, you know, personally, but uh, just someone really to look up to, just in in terms of how 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 to be and have the right attitude on a film set. I mean, there's there's a documentary as well called Never Sleep Again, the um the the Elm Street Legacy. 
I think it's something like four to five hours long. I've watched it a good few times. I just love that document. And do you know what? Actually, thinking about it on now, I haven't watched it in over a year. I might actually watch it this afternoon. I might actually pop that on um, this afternoon after I finish work. But, you know, I um, I think I honestly think that's a, it's a great documentary for a, for a great set of films. I mean, I think I think everyone's fan favourite is Dream Warriors. It's the third one. Uh, they have, they got a little bit silly after that. I, I do like Dream Master. The Dream Master was cool. But, yeah. From there, I think they got a bit silly, but I think the original Nightmare on really captures something special there. Just um, the, the, the I mean, the atmosphere in that is it's dripping with it, absolutely dripping with it, and it's dripping with blood as well. I mean, some of the kills in that. I mean, Johnny Depp going into a bed and just coming out with a geyser of blood is just like, oh my god! And seeing again, it was one of those films that my parents didn't know that I was watching. I watched that when I was when I shouldn't have been watching it and. By God, could I not sleep? Not for the sake of Freddie getting me in my dreams, but just being sucked into a bed at seven years old is, you know, seven, eight years old is terrifying. But yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984, you know, you, you really can't go wrong. And again, I'm not mentioning scores a lot in this top 10, but it, they are a big part of me and a big part of films. And the score, I mean, just... You put that you put that score on anywhere, it, it kills you. It really does kill you. And there's a great, you know, soundtrack on vinyl um, that I, I'm I'm really after at the moment. Um great cover art as well. But yeah, no, Nightmare on Elm Street, I mean, if you haven't seen it, and even if you don't even if you don't like horror films, it's one of those films you have to see anyway. Just you've got to experience it. It's it's a phenomenal film, and again, for the time, absolutely amazing. So yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street, um hitting in at number six. So heading into the top five now, um, we're looking at... Uh, it, was, it was a bit of a toss-up, this one, because this film was originally, for a very long time, number two. But obviously since then, we've had a lot more films come out. Uh, but really, I wanna, I'm wanna, i going to cheat a little bit on this one. Um, spending the rules a little bit. But it's my list. I can do whatever the hell I want. So, yeah, number five is a toss-up between Joker. That's Joaquin Phoenix's Joker from um, a year or two ago, and Gladiator. Two very different films. Completely, completely um, honour that there. That They're two very different films to occupy that space. But they they both... They, I mean, we'll, we'll touch on score again. I mean, the score from Joker, I mean, my... I mean, it, it was... The Oscar for it was well-deserved. It's one of the most listened-to soundtracks I have ever played on my Spotify, ever. It's absolutely outstanding. And you could that 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 like like another film, but I'm going to say that tells a story, um, which is my number one actually. It you can you can watch that film and have everything turned off. You know, you could have the voices muted with just the music, and you would know exactly what's going on, how how he is feeling, how his mind is getting twisted and bent, and you know, getting to a point where he's just had enough. One of the, my favourite scenes ever in that is when he meets young Bruce Wayne at the gates and the music that's playing is just the way the scene is choreographed and, you know, he's, he's doing all his, his tricks and everything and Alfred's there just being a total prat. Um, really don't like Alfred in that film. He's a, he's a dick, but... Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, it, same again. It's a little bit like Heath Ledger's Joker. It, there really isn't any more I can add, add here other than you. I mean, you just gotta watch it. I mean, wow. I mean, talk about powerhouse performances. Joker, 
is up there as, you know, it's I'd, I'd say it rivals Daniel Day-Lewis in Gangs of New York as one of the best performances I've seen. It, wow, just, just wow. Um, considering Gladiator as well, I love Gladiator. I mean, the, to me, the original and best revenge film. I think a lot of other films after that take points from that film of revenge, you know, of a family getting knocked off, bumped off, or someone getting hurt, and our hero, you know, going out and exacting justice. But the way this is done, it's it's the it's the, it's the ultimate sword and sandals film for me. I know a lot of people might say it's Ben Hare or Spartacus, but I mean. Considering modern day sword and sandal films, but we we don't get a lot of anymore. I mean, they have they have, they have gone the way of the western. Um, considering how many were out there, you know, early two thousands. I, I think that's why we had um, films like Troy come out after Gladiator because of the sheer success of Gladiator. Um, but yeah, Russell Crowe in that film. I mean, you just feel for the guy. You really do, and you know, incredibly quotable lines. But the, I mean, the action set pieces. As well in the Colosseum, I mean, just they just give you goosebumps. And again, obviously a little pairing between the two, Joaquin Phoenix being in, you know, being in Joker and being in Gladiator there. So that's that's actually I've just thought that's an interesting pairing there. So yeah, at least as a bridge, I've, I've managed to make a bridge somewhere in in the top five there. But yeah, no, Gladiator and Joker again, they definitely match each other out there. They're great. But if I had to pick one, I'd pick Joker just for the sheer, you know, acting chops on that one. But no. Both great films and a really good addition to the top five there. So yeah, so brilliant, brilliant start there. So you know we've done our done done our top done ten to five, um, some really good films in there. Again, my my ten to fives tend to change a lot more than my four to ones. These these films they are there for a reason because they are so good. Um. Well, obviously, there wouldn't be if they, if they were crap. I wouldn't have them in there, would I? I mean, what a stupid thing to say. But still, my my top, you know, going four to one now. These are the big hitters. These are the films that uh, hit a personal note on me, um, and it's it's why I'm I'm doing what I'm doing. Well, finally, it's taken me years to build up the confidence to do this. But let's let's just go ahead and you know I can add more stuff to this. But yeah, no, let's get into the top four. So number four, just like earlier. I actually, I, to be honest, I actually said earlier that it was one of two horror films on here. It's not actually true when I when I was talking about Nightmare on Elm Street because I completely forgot about this one, which is really bad because um, I was thinking of my um, of my number three. So these next, so number four and number f- three, I'm going to talk talk about um, you know back to back. But number number four, we're going for um, it chapter one and chapter two, and I'm including those together just because they are. If you've read the book, the, it's a complete story. You know, it's not one of these cases where I, 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 I'd say I'd put it in the same same thing as like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, where they are separate books, but it's one massive story. No, it is one story. It's just split into two films. So kind of like Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2, but you didn't hear me reference Twilight and it in the same sentence. I just thought, you know. What that's basically what we're looking for. Harry Potter one and two. There we go. Definitely Alice Part one and part two. There's a better reference for you. Unless Twilight shit. But it's chapter one and two. So I think as a whole, if you you to me you can you can't separate both chapter one and chapter two. They are one story. So when people say, oh yeah, chapter two is not not strong enough, and I know a lot of people have read the book or seen the uh, the mini series with Tim Curry. I mean, good. God, did that guy give me nightmare? I just had to look at the VHS cover of 
the It miniseries and It gave me the heebie-jeebies when I was younger. I can still remember looking at that cover when I was younger and totally shitting myself. But It Chapter 1 and 2, I mean, great. I, the style is consistent for I think that's most important. There is a consistent style there. And obviously, number two was able to go a little bit further just because obviously there were adults. Um, the kids were pushed though in the first one. I mean, if if you had to do a preference, I would say the first one. I like to watch the first one. Just, I, I saw that more in the cinema. And um, the second one, I only saw once at cinema. But I think that was because it was so goddamn long. I mean, it was. I think it's close to three hours that film. But the fact that the second one is the same same length as the it mini series, which is they're both three hours long, but chapter two is just chapter two, and you've already got a whole two hours to, to explore the kids in the first chapter. There's five hours worth of it, of Pennywise there for you, and I think that's what really benefits this story. I think it's it's going to be a very long time, I think, before we see you know another retelling of 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 it. It's it encaptures, and I and as well, I think it came out the right time because obviously we've got this Stranger Things boom, we've got this eighties boom at the moment. I think it's dying off a little bit now, thank God. But really, where they're ramming the 80s down your throat. I mean, obviously, I'm a 90s baby. I mean, 80s, yeah, great. Love some of the films in there, Back to the Future and all that. But, you know, I'm I'm a 90s kid. You know, Jurassic Park, you know, all the Armageddon. You, you'll notice quite a few of my films are very pre-90s, apart from Wonder Woman. But, yeah, no, It, Chapter 1 and 2. I mean, Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise. I honestly think he's been snubbed quite a few times by the Academy or, you know, for for awards of how bloody creepy that dude is. Not, not obviously not in general, but as it, as Pennywise, he's really, I mean, just the thing he does with his eyes, which isn't CGI. A lot of people think it's CGI. You can actually do that in real life, which again, that's, that's just, it, that's off-putting. But I mean, this, I mean, the storm drain scene right at the beginning is, I mean, with Georgia, it's, just, it's heartbreaking. You know, it's, it, it really tugs at your heartstrings, but my God, how I, when I first saw that and they, they actually showed his arm being pulled into the <laughs> pulled into the sewer, and then Pennywise's arm coming across the street, extending and coming across and dragging him, this little boy, into a sewer to eat him. I mean, holy shit! You know, wow. You know, the, kudos to you, um, Mr. Andy, for putting that on screen because that that is brutal. That but that is what Pennywise is all about. He's got no, you know. No fucks given, if I'm going to be totally honest. You know, if he wants to eat you, he's going to damn well eat you. But considering I've read the book, I've seen the miniseries God knows how many times. It's just, I think, obviously, apart from the infamous scenes in, or passages in the book, which I thank God they didn't include them, I would not have been, you know, didn't really want to see that on screen. Thank you very much. You know, great interpret and a great adaptation. It's one of the best adaptations books ever. Everything nowadays, I mean... You can't really escape it. Everything seems to have been a book at some point or another, or was a short story. I mean, you know, there's a very few, there are very few little idea, genuine real ideas out there in Hollywood at the moment. Yet, yeah, I know we've got a pandemic, but still, to me, you know, we've got a pandemic. That means, you know, it's not a case of, oh, let's reboot, you know, oh, let's, let's bring out another Star Wars. Let's bring out another, I don't know, let's bring out... The Exorcist 20 million and two. Let's bring out another X Men, which I know isn't happening yet, but you know, it's just, it just feels like the same films have been churned out over and over. I mean, good God, how many Fast Furiouses do they have to be? I, I will get into this in another video. It'll be part, I think this is going to be part of my one where 
you know, I'll discuss why. There are some films people love that I hate, and this is one of those. I mean, Fast and Furious, my God, why does that exist? I, mean, I think, is that, I'm sure the next one they're going into space. I'm sure I read that somewhere. They are, they are actually going into space. So, you know, we're, we are at that point now. But deviant from the subject here, but yeah, It Chapter 1 and 2, I mean, great set of films, great acting. You know, I love the, love the, the choices for the adults. Um, James McAvoy, I mean, I know Bill Hurd gets, gets a lot of the a lot of the credit there for playing an older Richie, but no, Bill, um, Bill, Pla- Bill, Pla- Bill, Pla- Bill Denbrough, played by James McAvoy. No, really, I, I really enjoyed that. That was a really good performance, but all of them in general, no, fantastic. Fantastic film, creepy, cre- creepy film, um, but yeah, definitely rewatchable. So no, it chapter one and two at number four. So at number three, so we're in the top three now. So bronze medal. Um, so it's our last horror film, but it is the best horror film. And it's the best horror film ever made, in my opinion. It is. It, it has ever. It has that the realism factor. It has, you know, it, it, it has the gore, but it doesn't have the gore where it's in your face, and, I mean, atmosphere. I know we talked about atmosphere in Nightmare on Elm Street. Seriously, if you want ambience, if you want storytelling, if you want to be absolutely scared shitless, watch The Exorcist 3, or Legion, as it's also known as. Well, the book's called Legion. But this is a direct sequel by William Peter Bly, um, you know, writer of the first Exorcist film. Obviously, Exorcist... The original Exorcist, considered one of the scariest, if not the scariest film of all time. I I don't agree with that because The Exorcist 3 exists. The Exorcist 3 builds upon the story of the first Exorcist. And it has one of, well, no, it has the greatest jump scare in a film ever. And just the way it's set up. I'm not going to spoil it for you here. You can obviously go on YouTube and just type in Exorcist 3 hallway scene. That's all I'm going to have to say. You know, but my God, seeing that figure, I spe- I think I only first saw The Exorcist 3 when I was, I think we, my mum my and dad recorded it. Uh, yeah, we used to record things. Um, yeah, a few years ago, I think four or five years ago, and the first time I saw it, it, it shit me up so much. It's just, yeah, I know I've said it's creepy, but like for for like genuine creepy way, you, you could, you know, you could walk into somewhere and feel like something's off that that it feels like there's something off with that film. Um, really, I mean, George C. Scott. I've, I think I had heard or read somewhere that he got a Razzie or was he was on the top list of worst one of the worst performances. He's amazing in it. I really don't know what which film people are watching. He's fantastic in it, and and just the the conversations he has. With you know, with with the priest and his, his fellow colleagues, and how frustrated he's getting. But I mean, this film, like I said, there isn't hard, gory. I mean, there is a bit where a guy gets his skin peeled off, but that's towards it. There's a there's a build up, and the instead of discuss instead of showing it, it's all about discussing it and seeing the reactions. There's a, a scene very close to the, it's the start of the film where the, the, the um, George C. Scott's character is in a restaurant with a priest and he's explaining what's happened. Um, and then then he tells you what's just happened to this little lad um, down by the docks and just seeing the reaction of the priest and it's just, wow. Just I've, I've never I've never felt like that watching a film. It, re- it really is off-putting. Um, but, oh my, I honestly, I can't, I'm spilling out words here just because I can't think of enough praise enough to to 
to say about The Exorcist 3. And people might think, oh, it's The Exorcist 3. I mean, it's the third film in a series. I mean, we've completely... If you know your Exorcist films, you know your horror films, you know to completely bypass um, The Heretic, um, Exorcist 2, absolute pile of dog shit. Exorcist, obviously, if, you, if you're a horror fan, you've seen it. Everyone's seen it, you know. Um, but the third one, pick it up. You know, there's a great, there's a fantastic Blu-ray, um, especially if you're in the UK, a really great Blu-ray set um, out there. I think it is available. I think it actually is available in the US, and then it came out in the UK. Really, oh, there's a great Blu-ray with, with all the extra features on it and the making of. I mean, the making of is fantastic. It really, I'm really glad, glad they included that on the disc. But again, I, I don't really want to say too much about it. I know I'm kind of blabbling on about it, but yeah, no, you need to. Ex it's one of those. You need to experience the Exorcist for you. You don't just watch it; you experience it. But please don't don't pussy foot around it. Don't turn the lights on. Don't watch it in the middle of the day. Watch this film. I mean, it's winter at the moment. Watch this film when it's dark. I mean, if you if you if you if you're home alone, I mean, good luck. But you know, get it on. Curtains closed. Get a proper popcorn. Have proper popcorn and be prepared to be scared shitless and not sleep for a good week or so after it. By God, I'm I have never seen anything like it, and I don't think I'll ever experience it anything like it again. It's just that too good of a movie and I think there's a lot of criticism where obviously it's famous obviously I think Stephen King made this famous when he when he directed Maximum Overdrive of writers not they shouldn't really direct you know um their own their own pieces of work but I mean for Blatty to come in and direct that after writing it is just like you know, kudos to the bloke because it's just something you haven't seen anything like that before. It's just it's it's amazing. It really is amazing. But for yeah, for for number three, it's The Exorcist three, and that's my top. That that is that is my favorite horror film of all time. I can't can't sing its praises enough. So go and watch it. Get scared shitless. It's amazing. So the final top two. Uh, so number two. Uh, this this one. This is this is a big one. This this is. This came out, I believe it came out in 2012. So it came out at a time when I didn't really, I saw the trailer and I thought, you know what, that that really speaks to me. That really speaks to me. And I didn't realise it was a book at the time. But after, you know, after a couple of researching and everything, and I did realise it was a book. So I decided to read the book first before I saw the film. And it's one of those rare instances where... I mean, I know a lot of people say the the book is better than the film, but the film is so much better than the book because I think it's because it just resonates with me a lot, and that's um, it's another case of of, a, of the writer being in the director's chair. But by, I mean, what a what a film to make and to speak to such such a broad audience for awareness of mental health and everything. Well, that's what I take away from it, and that's that's the perks of being a wallflower. Just. It is if if a if a soundtrack could boost a film other than my number one. I know I keep saying that, but seriously, number one's like it, it it's 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 the Doctor's Box number one. But <laughs> yeah, to escalate a film with a score like that, I mean, I, I just I I, I can't I, I don't have another soundtrack on you know on my playlist. I mean, my iTunes when I when when iTunes was a thing. The amount of players I got out of this soundtrack was ridiculous. But talk about speaking to people, and especially to me. Just so you know how much this film means to me, I have We Are Infinite, which 
I know it's, a di- it's more a direct reference from, from the film rather than the book. Um, but I prefer the We Are Infinite to I Feel Infinite. Um, I have that actually tattooed on my chest um, in writing. That's how much this film means to me. It speaks to me. Um, but I, every time I watch it, I'm, I'm a complete mess by the end of it. It's so heartwarming and uplifting. And it just goes to show if you've got friends around you, you can get through anything. If you've got the right friends around you, you can do anything. That's more important. It's not, not just about anybody. It's the right people. And not a lot of people, you lose a lot of your friends when you grow up. You know, and some people don't have any friends. Like my, my, myself, I, I mean, I know people, but I don't have any good friends, you know, considering what's happened throughout my life and everything. I've I've been stupid in some cases. I've just lost in t- lost touch with, with some people. Or some people you find out, you know, they're not who they meant, who you thought they were, and they've been best friends for years. You know, they can, you know, everyone's got those stories. And Pex really does encompass that. And it encompasses the first love, the first kiss, which I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm happily, I'm engaged, you know, and I'm, I'm happy where my life is at the moment. I've I've come leaps and bounds, you know, from from past relationships. But no one really forgets their first love, you know. I mean, it's a good it's it's good that my fiance understands that. But yeah, you never forget your first love, and this really hit, really hit home on that. And it really, you know, having that first kiss as well. I mean, bless him, Logan Lerman. In that is just uh, you just want to give him a big big hug. Just all the guys in that, and Emma Watson in it as well. I mean, it just to take on Sam and do it in in the way she did it. It just for for me when I read the book, that's how I envisioned Sam was or, or what she looked like, and you know, and and how she reacted and how she acted around um, around Charlie, played by Logan Lerman. Uh, yeah, and Ezra Miller is great as well. You know, all those three that 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 trio in that film. I mean. Again, same with the Exorcist three. Same with a lot of films. I mean, I, I mean, you, you people can say to you go go experience it, and I've said that with the Exorcist three. But Pex is just it is a that's to me that's lightning in a bottle. It's the only it's one of two films on this list with lightning in a bottle, and I can truly say it, like I love that film. Like it that will never it will never move from number two ever. These like I said earlier, these these two films will never move from this spot, and it would be it would be number one. But there is a certain film. Um, that if people know me, I, I mean, I have God knows how many stuff, that there is a certain film that touts it to number one, and it is the greatest film ever made. So, we're finally at number one. Thank you for sticking me for, with me, if you're still listening. Uh, this is this has been a bit of a rambling video, and again, it's only my second episode. It's the second, It's I mean, it's I'm amazed I'm still talking. Regarding, you know, I'm, I'm quite a shy guy, so the fact that I'm I'm still talking about films, um, and you're still listening, I mean, thank you very much. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, anticipation is killing you, I'm sure. But number one, like I said, greatest film ever made. Yeah, it's, it it reminds me of my my dad a lot. To be honest, he's the reason why I love it. So, number one is Steven Spielberg's 1975 Fish Story Jaws. Now. Again, there's not much I can say on the surface, wink, wink, um, of of Jaws. I mean, just music, acting, cinematography, storytelling, you know, composition. The fact that they, the, the, 
the, the fact that the shack didn't work was a was a was a lifesaver. It's what the, it what's it is what makes that film what it is. It is it, it you don't even dip your toe in a bath or go to the toilet after you've seen that film. I mean, my, my fiance, we only after we moved in, um, moved into our new house um, about six seven months ago. Um, we Jaws actually came out came out in the UK on 4K around that time, and I she bought me it, and she'd never seen it, and I, I got I got a bit too giddy because like you've never seen Jaws, like oh my god, and I know a lot of people say like oh I've seen films hundreds hundreds and hundreds of times, but I have I have actually kept account of how many times I've seen Jaws. So since I was six years old, I've seen Jaws 127 times, um, <laughs> a lot I know, but I've seen it in so many different ways. So I've seen it. I've take, I took my dad for his birthday a few years ago. We went to the Royal Albert Hall, um, where they they had Jaws on, but they had they had the live orchestra in front of it playing it. Um, I uh, a year later when I was um, living down south, I uh, me and a friend we went to I think it was called Why Boston Lakes if I remember I might be wrong there, but they had a screening on the lake of Jaws, so you got your own little like rubber ring and you actually I've done it where you've I've watched Jaws in the water on a lake surreal experience because every little thing that brushes past your leg you think oh my god i'm gonna get eaten um i've i mean on top of that i've seen obviously i've seen it i I, I can't remember i think i've got five or six copies of it um super 8 dvd blu-ray 4k um different copy you know steel books you name it i've got it i've got all the the big bits of merchandise i've got the mcfarland jaws but and um, the 3D poster, I've got autographs, I've got Matt Ferguson artwork, which by the way, I mean, amazing art, Matt, I mean, Matt Ferguson, just wow, but yeah, no, it's, I've got some really good, I've got some amazing pieces, if you actually see my Instagram, so that's, um, I'll, um, I'll put a link on my Instagram account um, when it goes, when this when this episode goes live, you can actually, there is a picture on there, you have to follow me first, I don't, I'm, it's private, I don't like letting anyone, anyone follow me, but um. There is a picture on there of all my collection. I think it's on my Twitter as well, actually, of everything I have. And it's quite an impressive collection. Um, like I said, artwork um, and all that. But yeah, just it just it, the reason I've got all that is because it is... I mean, you, you, could, you, could, you could talk to, to quite a few directors now and they'll say the reason they got into film is because of Jaws. It's the reason I love film. It's the reason I'm here talking to you about it. It's the reason why I've got... I love film so much. It is it is the quintessential summer blockbuster. No matter who who tells you what, and like, oh, it's not really the original like summer blockbuster. It was Star Wars. No, it wasn't Star Wars. Star Wars was not the original summer blockbuster that came out a few years after Jaws. Is the original. I'm, I think Jaws as well has a big big um, big part to play in how um, how films marketed and a big success of star wars if i'm going to be totally like star wars was incredibly merchandised and marketed but the only film before that really did that and it was one of the first films that did that properly is jaws and jaws was the one that brought all your toothbrushes your lunchboxes your your t-shirts i mean i think i've seen a jaws toilet seat somewhere but i mean nowadays you, you slap anything on anything and you can sell it so no i mean Jaws is it is the film. It is it is the you know the amazing. It's the holy grail of where I I put on a pedestal of where films need to be. So number one is Jaws. I, I would like to go into a bit more detail of it and break it down a bit more, but um, I think I'm going to leave that for another episode. I think it, it, 
because it's my favourite film, it deserves a half hour slot. It deserves its own podcast um, episode just because, uh, I mean, it, it, there's too many things to talk about in it. I might not even, I mean, it might be one of my longest episodes I, I look at doing. But what I might do, I might put that as like a, a, a goal. So if, say if I get to 100 listeners, I'll, I'll, I'll review yours. Or if I, you know, if I get to 50 listeners, but I'll be honest, even if I get to 10 listeners, just... To have ten people on this planet just listening to me ramble on about films, you know, would be would, would be would be great. But yeah, Jaws number one always will be number one. It's never going to change. Um, nothing even comes close to it. Jaws at number one. So guys, that was my top ten films of all time. Um, my second Infinity Pods um, episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you're still here. I know I tend to ramble a lot. I'm still trying to find my, find my voice. I'm still trying to find what works. But no, obviously, the more I do it, the more confident I'm going to get. So really, thank you for listening. And, um, you know, anything you need to hit me up on Twitter, hit me up on Instagram. I'll put the links um, to where, where this podcast goes. And I'll also put it in the description as well. But yeah, thanks for listening. And I, I hope, to, hope to, well, I hope to have you again soon. All right. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Bye.